Welcome back to The Sensible Foodie, a podcast by a foodie dietitian just trying to make sense of the world. I'm your host, Kate Park. The summer brings with it so many wonderful things. Beach days, vacations, warm weather, and lots of fresh local produce. I'm blessed to live in a green belt and right down the road from a place referred to as the Garden City. Local produce honestly just has a different flavor to it. In my family, you would say you can taste the dirt, which may not seem all that appealing, but for those of us that have eaten carrots fresh out of the backyard, you'll know what I'm talking about. Which brings us to the theme for today, stepping outside the traditional produce box. Modern transportation has made food from around the globe way more accessible, and to many foodies' delights, that means lots of fun exotic treats to try, but a lot of us are missing out on a whole world of foods that we can explore in our own neighborhoods. While variety at grocery stores and food vendors does tend to expand the more connected we are, it is also often more popular and familiar foods that are from the regions we see on the actual shelves. Within many of our favorite foods, such as potatoes, tomatoes, and other vegetables, there are so many varieties we never see on the shelf. For example, did you know there are over 4,000 varieties of potatoes in existence, with the great majority of them originating in Peru? How many of those varieties do you think you've seen over the years? Sometimes it may be because of lack of popularity, maybe it's a growing issue, but today I would like to talk about the unique varieties of produce out there, and I'm going to be speaking to a local grower with a bit of a twist. Sarah Smith is a dietitian gone farmer. Specifically, she is one of the owners of Pastel Pumpkins, a pumpkin operation putting colorful pumpkins on people's porches. Pastel Pumpkins grows pumpkins and squashes in every possible color, and while their venture was originally there to provide people with some pumpkins to help change up their autumn porch aesthetic, it will come as no surprise that Sarah, being a dietitian, actually started to discover some of her pumpkins and squash are also edible. Now, Sarah has been a dietitian for seven years now and has worked in both a family health team setting, which is where I met her, as well as in the hospital setting. She currently works at a hospital here in Hamilton, helping patients to improve their nutritional status after complex GI surgeries. Although Sarah loves helping her patients recover from surgery, she has a lot of interest outside the hospital. And while she does enjoy living in the city, she often feels called out to the countryside. She grew up on a farm just outside of Hamilton, which has been in her family for three generations. She has a fond childhood memory of running through her parents' vegetable gardens, picking up rotten tomatoes, and throwing them at her sister. I mean, who wouldn't love that? Sarah's parents still live at this farm, and this is the location where Pastel Pumpkins was born. Everyone, please welcome Sarah Smith. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, everyone, and hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to talk with you and talk about pastel pumpkins. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on, and I'm sure everyone can tell just from the excitement. First of all, we are friends, but also I'm obviously a regular customer of pastel pumpkins because, I mean, I like a pretty porch just like everybody else. (laughs) You are. You you gave us good support this year, and uh, I'm happy to see that your porch was made pretty by pastel pumpkins. (laughs) What inspired you to start a business centered around colorful and exotic pumpkins and squash? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, 
It kind of came about during COVID. And I think this is not uncommon for a lot of people who wanted to do different things during COVID, try try out new things, maybe start small businesses. Um, it's definitely been something that I've wanted to do for a long time in my life. And I think COVID just gave me that extra time and headspace to go for it. Um, so we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. We had a couple ideas in mind at one point there was like a muscle recipe idea in mind, um, but nothing was really sticking. So we went on a little Ontario road trip um, because you couldn't really travel that much during that time. So in fall of September 2020, we did a road trip through the Blue Mountain area and we found ourselves walking the streets of Collingwood area and Thornbury area and just our eyes were catching these front Um, displays of stores and restaurants and coffee shops and they had this beautiful display of different colored pumpkins that I had never seen before Hmm. Um, particular or specifically white colored pumpkins and blue colored pumpkins and it just struck me because I'm like oh this is just such so nice and different compared to your regular orange sort of jack-o'-lantern pumpkin decor the ones we all recognize exactly and you associate with fall and Halloween Mm -hmm. So we were driving home and of course in that area there's tons of um, sort of farmers markets and things like that and there was a lot of those pumpkins. So we stopped, got our own supply of colorful pumpkins. At that time again just more white and blue and we came home and set up our whole porch and we got so many compliments and people were walking by and noticing them and I said why doesn't the lower part of the GTA or Hamilton have these pumpkins in their stores. Like, I think there's something missing. So sure enough, we had the property and at my parents' house and we were like, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. So we planted them the first year, not expecting that they would fully flourish the way that they did. I think we demolished my parents' uh, tomato plants because we had so much growth. Oh, geez. Um, And then we decided to just post it on Instagram. We didn't have that many followers in the beginning. And then we just had people showing up at the farm and we were like, I guess this is real. Let's just go for it. Uh, And that's kind of how it was born in the initially it's always lovely to hear that wonderful things came out of the pandemic for some people and obviously you found a market down here that nobody had really tapped yet so congratulations thank you I know I didn't expect it but I think it was just the perfect setup with having the property already so it just made sense Mm -hmm. now growing less common varieties is it harder to find seeds to grow them in general surprisingly not I I found that there are quite a few growers of these seeds, mostly in Canada and Ontario. So you can find um, local seed growers at Sim- Simcoe area, Cooksville area, and then some in the States as well. And uh, so we didn't have any trouble with sourcing our seeds. The biggest issue was if you didn't source them, if you didn't source them fast enough. So we found that if you go into January and your pumpkin season, you're wanting to plant by May, you have to do it the year before. So essentially right after you'd have your pumpkin season, September, October, November, you have to buy the seeds because they sell out quite fast. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So do a lot of these squashes and seeds, do they originate locally from here or are they from somewhere else originally? Most of them are from somewhere else. And this was a surprise to me when I was doing some research on where the seeds come from. A lot of them are from unique parts of the world, such as our Jardale pumpkin, which is more of that bluish, grayish colored pumpkin that we have, which is kind of our signature pumpkin that 
was the star of the our brand initially. That grows in Western Australia. Oh. In a small town called Jaredell. And our other, another example is a pumpkin that's kind of like a Cinderella type pumpkin. It looks like the classic Cinderella pumpkin, orange pumpkin, or more red, and it's ribbed. That's from a part of France called Musée de Provence. Hmm. Yeah, so kind of cool. And there's another one from New York that resembles like a, uh, a wheel of cheese, and it's called Long, Long Island Cheese. It's actually called cheese, like cheese in the name? Yes, it's called <laughs> Long Island Cheese Pumpkin. I can't say that it resembles any taste of cheese, but it definitely definitely looks like a wheel of cheese, just more ribbed. <laughs> yes, we mentioned at the beginning that some of your pumpkins are edible. Have you tried them yourself? I have tried them. I can't say I have cooked with them. So I have to be honest, I haven't personally cooked with them because pumpkin season just wipes you right out. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to even really cook for yourself. I mean, <laughs> do it's pumpkins, pumpkins, pumpkins. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just you're surrounded by pumpkins the entire time. But thankfully we stayed up like we were doing the selling at my parents' farm right where we grew them. And thankfully my mom was very helpful. She cooked a lot of meals for us during pumpkin season. So for Almost two weeks straight, we didn't really have to worry about cooking. Oh, that's a nice bonus. <laughs> Very nice bonus. She's a nice lady. <laughs> now, last year, I did try eating one of them that you told me was safe. I was super, yes. I, I couldn't believe how weirdly nervous I was because it was, I felt like I was eating a plant from another planet because it, I, what was, the, do you remember the name of the one that I tried? You tried, I think you tried the Jardale one and then you tried another one that's kind of like a rusty color. The rusty color is the one I definitely ate. Yes. 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 I can't remember the name. I'm trying to think of the name. It's right on the tip of my tongue. I'll think about it. That's okay. I roasted it. I tried to treat it like a butternut squash and it was sweet like a butternut squash, but it was definitely grittier. Mm. Like in my brain, I only assumed it must be more, it must have higher fiber because I was like, I can like feel the texture of this which I mean was tolerable but I can't say it was pleasant necessarily (laughs) yeah it wasn't probably as sweet as say a butternut squash or a buttercup squash maybe which is probably why those are so much more popular right people are drawn to those sweeter kind of smoother textures but it was still interesting to eat and I didn't get sick which was nice so a good bonus (laughs) we guarantee no sickness from the pumpkins no for sure However, a lot of people are going to be using your pumpkins Mm -hmm. as decorations. So I guess the question I have is, would the pumpkin be safe to eat after it's been sitting outside or inside as a decoration? Yeah. Uh, So you, as long as there's no open parts of the, the, there's no pores or sort of slashes in the skin on the outside of the pumpkin and it's still pretty hard and firm the skin you can eat it no problem if you've stored it outside or you stored it inside as long as everything's intact and firm to touch you can definitely eat it I mean it's like any traditional pumpkin if it's solid it stays for a really long time it's the reason we don't eat jack-o'-lanterns because like once you've scooped them out and you've exposed it to the air it starts to rot and ferment which is how you end up with drunk squirrels on your lawn (laughs) two Um, days after Halloween two days after (laughs) Halloween but for most people I don't think people realize how long 
those types of vegetables actually store for yeah I think we had ours up until the first snowfall end of November on our porch we didn't get rid of them so they definitely last a long time some of them we were disposing of them just in the green bin even though they were still okay Mm -hmm. yeah so they definitely last a long time now you may not be able to answer this question but I'm curious in your own research is there any significant nutritional difference between the um, less common squashes that are edible versus like say the traditional ones we see in the grocery store or markets yeah based on what I've learned so far just growing the different unique varieties of these pumpkins there isn't a huge difference in the nutritional value between your classic butternut squash or buttercup squash Um, they're both really great sources of vitamin a I think one cup of butternut squash and even a one cup of pumpkin provides 50 percent of your vitamin a Oh, wow. Uh, Needs that you need for a day. Yes. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's incredible. And of course, a good source of fiber and and, um, a heartier or richer source of fiber that you would get from some other vegetables like zucchini, cucumber, salad, greens, things like that. So definitely something that keeps you fuller for longer. Um, But not any significant differences in the numbers of the different vitamins and minerals or other nutrients. So we're not necessarily going to see any advantages, but we're not necessarily going to see any disadvantages either. Exactly. If anything, it's just kind of fun to try a new variety like you did, right? You were like, I'm just going to use this as an experiment and see if I like it. And maybe I'll substitute it, you know, in soups or things like that, or just something to try. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to explore something different for sure. It was also nice not to waste something. I think sometimes when we use things decoratively, you can feel really bad at the end when you've got to like chuck it in the bin. So to be able to repurpose it was a really nice feeling. And, you know, that's how you learn to love new things. I mean, I may have decided that was something I wanted to have on the regular. I don't think it is. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) but, I mean, I would definitely, if I buy another one of those, I would definitely cook it up afterwards just so that there's less plant waste, which I think is great because it was still enjoyable since we are two dietitians Mm -hmm. sitting here. I think it's only fair we kind of shift over and talk a bit about nutrition. But in your opinion, what are some of the benefits of including more diverse types of vegetables in our meals? Because yeah. I know how I feel about it and why I am I have so many patients that are always bragging about it. Like, oh, you know, I only eat the green vegetables. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I know why that bothers me and yeah. why I want diversity. But in your <laughs> words, why do you like to see diversity in people's vegetable picks? Yeah, I feel like there's so much to say, <laughs> which you probably can like rhyme <laughs> off five things off the top of your head because this is just so common in our shared patient population. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, I, I totally agree. I think when you don't have as much diversity in the types of vegetables and fruits in your diet, you're not only missing out on certain important nutrients, like if you're not having a lot of orange vegetables or fruit, you're not getting as much as of that vitamin A or the vitamin C. Um, you, and you're not getting, you know, if you're not having a lot of like purple or sort of the deeper colored uh, vegetables, you're not getting as much antioxidants. So I think just overall getting a good variety, you're going to be able to open up your window of lots of different vitamins and minerals. Um, yeah, I think that that's definitely a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And I've always said that Mother Nature color coordinated our food for a reason. Different colors give us different benefits. It's like your multivitamins. Exactly. You know, every, nobody seems to have qualms about eating those multicolored 
gummies gummies (laughs) (laughs) and yet if we just ate a greater color variety we may not even require those necessarily unless we have specific health conditions that warrant it right Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so that diversity is really important for that and I think it goes beyond sort of health benefits like I think even from a curiosity and creative spark that is really good for our mental health just being able to explore you know different types of vegetables that may come from different cultures and you're learning and you're um, learning to cook these different vegetables in different ways that you might not normally do so I think expanding your palate for different vegetables as well as your curiosity there's lots of health benefits but I think Um, It's just something fun to do and and try. Yeah. I mean, the fun aspect's a big part of it, but there also is some food psychology. So when I have a lot of people asking, you know, I I need to eat more vegetables, there's actual mind science that suggests that the more variety we have the more we will eat I Mm. it's nicknamed the buffet effect right like how many of us go to a buffet and we want to try a little bit of everything if there's more than one vegetable available we inherently eat more of the vegetables because we want to try more things it's like at a party more enticing yeah versus Mm -hmm. if you again I I don't know why I'm picking on the green vegetables but if the only thing on your plate is broccoli you're not going to eat two three cups of broccoli maybe you are maybe you love broccoli I don't know Um, I don't know it can't be me not me (laughs) no but there's something to be said about if there was broccoli and carrots and zucchini or you do a bunch of grilled vegetables for barbecue season like you're more likely to pick because there's different flavors like you said there's more enjoyment because Mm -hmm. you're experiencing different textures and different flavors right yeah it's just I don't know I think it's just a fun way to explore and and to cook them in different ways right so like you mentioned cooking them in in the summertime grilling them that brings out a totally different flavor in those types of vegetables than it would if you were just broiling or 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 boiling right Mm -hmm. I know the one recipe that you actually um, created Kate is the broccoli roasted broccoli recipe Um, and I find this is the only way that I can that I enjoy broccoli (laughs) because boiling or steaming broccoli and putting it on your plate with say you know a little salt and pepper or some lemon juice it's just you get sick of it I cannot chew that much broccoli at all (laughs) so the recipe that Sarah's referring to is this it's very simple you take a head of broccoli you break it into pieces pretty much with your hands and like slice out the stem if you want toss it with lemon juice olive oil garlic and parmesan on cheese and you just bake it in the oven for 10 minutes at 425 until the edges just start to brown there's something about roasting broccoli it gets this earthiness to mm-hmm. it versus when it's boiled it's just like for me it's, it's just, just like there. mushy depression that's the way <laughs> I describe it because I get it I had boiled broccoli as a kid that that's what the smell is in my brain is like facing off against my parents and being like I do not want to eat this boiled broccoli yes <laughs> and it would go bad in the fridge as well so now I'm buying it more often but only because I have that recipe in mind mm-hmm. so if you start to learn how to cook vegetables in certain ways that you enjoy it feels like less of a chore to eat them and yeah. then you're more automatically going to get better variety in your diet. Now, we've talked a little bit about how experimenting with new types of produce can lead to more creativity in the kitchen, maybe encourage healthier eating habits. But what about, let's talk about seasonal and local produce in our diet. Why is that important? Yeah, seasonal and local produce. I feel personally, I like to include that in my diet because A, I think the food always tastes 
really great. <laughs> it's very fresh. Uh, I feel like asparagus does not taste as good as it does right now any other time of the year Mm. or strawberries in June for instance or tomatoes in August those are my favorite things during those times of the months because the taste is just so fresh and just it explodes in your mouth the flavor well when it's local it's picked at its peak ripeness versus Mm -hmm. when it's so much further away they're often picking it when it's not quite ripe, and so a lot of those key flavor notes don't develop or if they do develop they only partially develop because they've been riding on a truck for like a few weeks or something like that right like they're just not as strong I find Mm -hmm. but uh, other than that like I think it's important to support local farmers that are growing um, to to help them to continue to produce and grow their vegetables to feed their community Um, I think there's a great environmental reason for that as well Um, you're there's less of a carbon footprint if the vegetables are grown and you're you know you're just literally walking right outside of your back door to pick some cherry tomatoes to throw in your salad for dinner or you're walking you know right into town to the farmer's market and you're picking things that were just pulled from the garden fresh carrots fresh radishes things like that that morning right Mm -hmm. there's way less of a carbon footprint so I think that's another reason that's important to support local farmers. So if people do want to support local farmers, local food producers, how would you encourage people to go about doing that, being a local grower yourself? Yeah, I think there's a lot of great resources online uh, through social media, for sure. Um, I think uh, you can find um, in a lot of different farmers markets in the community too they do promote other locations within town that are hosting farmers markets so I think just really um, newspapers are another great way that you can find sort of pop-up farmers markets that are happening in your community Um, and just asking you know if you visit one farmers market ask ask them at the stand where's the next great farmers market is there anything is there anything closer Um, so I think that's a great way I think social media is really helping promote these places a little bit better. Yeah. And I mean, as far as specifically to Ontario, we do have the Ontario Produce Availability Guide yes. through Ontario.ca. Yeah, Foodland. And there's also the Ontario Produce uh, Marketing Association, which I know when you hear the word marketing, you're some people are like, ah, and Farm Fresh Ontario as well. These are all great online resources where you can find lots of information about uh, local produce growers, local produce resources, what's actually in season. Mm-hmm. I definitely encourage people to check that out. Since you're on here about your pumpkins, though, do you have any recipes that uh, you could recommend for people if they want to use your pumpkins afterwards. I know I talked about how I kind of roasted a like butternut squash with some olive oil and a little salt and pepper, but do you have any other suggestions of ways they could use up some of those edible pumpkins after they're done featuring them on their porches? Yeah, uh, we do have, we did do a little bit of a, a pair. We paired up with one of uh, our good friends that owns a company called Millie's Sweets. So this was last season so 2022 and she does sort of cupcakes and donuts and things like that she's just right in Hamilton as well and she took one of our like more of our it's a ruby red I think it's another Cinderella type pumpkin and it has like this very sweet orange flush flesh in the inside and she took it home and said I'm gonna make a pumpkin loaf and I'm gonna 
add cream cheese icing on top. So then she did it in the morning and she came back in the afternoon and served us these amazing pumpkin loaves that had toasted pumpkin seeds on top of them as well with the cream cheese icing and who doesn't love cream cheese icing right (laughs) the best and they were delicious they were so good and I don't like I want to say it almost the the I don't know if it was like because we were using a fresh pumpkin versus the canned pumpkin but it definitely felt like um, the flavor was stronger. You could pick out the pumpkin flavor really well compared to, say, using a canned pumpkin. So it sounds like some of these squashes and pumpkins could potentially be used the same as classic pumpkins. Things for pies, baked goods, roasting them, soups, things like that. For sure. Uh, I'll definitely, if I get a chance to try another one this year, I'll be sure to post one on the social media channel for The Sensible Foodie. Um, So keep an eye out there, everyone, in case we get another recipe for pastel pumpkins. But... We're coming close to the end of the episode. And because this is a foodie podcast, the tradition is to have a takeaway container. Because if it's a good meal, Mm -hmm. you always take something away with you. So if there's one takeaway from this conversation you want listeners to have, what would it be? I love this question. (laughs) I think the thing that I want viewers to take away from is think outside the box when you're thinking about what to do with pumpkins. And pumpkin season isn't just around Halloween. There really is an uh, an option to extend the season to, you know, starting from the end of September to the all the way until Halloween and think about how you can change up the color scheme. So maybe you really want to go with more classic fall colors such as uh, orange, muted, muted yellow, muted browns maybe you really want to do super colorful and do all the different colors of your pumpkins maybe you want to bring a few inside and do some of our smaller miniature pumpkins and decorate your table make a beautiful tablescape for your thanksgiving meal so i think pumpkins don't just belong outside bring them in entertain with them have them on your tablescape outside inside and uh, just have fun with them I think there's so many things that you can do with them and um, I encourage everybody to come and visit us we're more than happy to you know bring a picture of your front porch and we'll take a look at it and see what would go what colors would go well with your the color of your front porch and what your house and your yard looks like Um, we love doing that type of stuff so definitely come visit us at the farm just outside of Hamilton Um, we'd love to meet you Fantastic. And if you want more details about pastel pumpkins, there will be details in the uh, notes for this episode. So be sure to take a look there. There will be links. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. It's been lovely having you. Thank you. I had so much fun. It was great chatting and I always have fun with you, Kate. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. Thanks everybody for listening. That's the end of the episode. Uh, Hope you enjoyed. Be sure to tune in again next week. We'll have lots more content. Take care of yourself eat good food and we'll see you soon the sensible foodie is written and produced by kate park theme music composed and performed by robert lash the sensible foodie is a platform for sharing information and a celebration and love of food and is not intended as medical advice if you have health concerns be sure to talk to your healthcare team